And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose. and Welcome to episode number 69 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded on Monday, March 9th, 2015. Well, folks, did you watch the announcement? New MacBooks, HBO On Demand, and yeah, new fancy timepiece, all brought to you courtesy of Apple. Apple's Spring Forward event was today, of course, and it had a lot for everybody for sure. But we want to know what you think. Is the Apple Watch the newest version of Google Glass, just a sign of being, you know, a Trey hipster? Or is it a luxury brand in the making? Are you going to buy an Apple Watch? Or are you going to leave it up to Joe and Robert to tell you what time it is? Leave us a review on iTunes, won't you? We want to know what you think. And leave us an iTunes review and let us know how we compare to the Apple Watch. All right, we know what time it is. That's right, it's time for us to spring forward ourselves and start the music, light the lights, and get this week in the news of content marketing going. And for that, it's time for me to introduce my co-host, my friend, my colleague, and of course, the apple of content marketing's eye, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you very much. It's uh, you know, it's been a crazy week. We're you know, we're off to Sydney again. I can't believe it's been a year already. I know. It's uh, you know, I'm. I was I was working this weekend and I was like, oh my gosh, I have so much to do. I can't believe I'm leaving on Thursday to, to go to the other side of the planet. It's it's crazy how much we. But I'm excited. I'm so excited to be there. Well, at least we'll have. I know it's it's different this year because they're so close back. Content marketing Sydney and Singapore are so back to back this year. I think last year we had a week in between, and we were just enjoying ourselves. Now we have That's to right. work. Like as soon as yeah, we're exactly. done speaking, we got to run out of town and go do our thing. But no, I'm exactly. looking forward to it. It'll be super fun. We'll have the weekend to relax a little bit before things get started on the 16th. I am, but. I am looking forward to that. You know, a little a little downtime before we sort of hit the ground running because you're right. We're going to be, I mean, Monday through Friday, really. We're just going to be nonstop moving. So, hey, if you're out there in Asia Pacific, folks, come and see us. Uh, we're, the, the attendance is looking really good for both events. So, oh, are they have, really? Yeah, oh, that's fantastic. It's really, oh, you know, right. I always get concerned because um, – the, the people in Asia Pacific that we target, they sign up notoriously much later than they do in the United States. Oh, interesting. So it's very hard to predict. I mean, we're used to it now. The first year we did uh, the Content Marketing Sydney event, we were like, oh, my gosh, this is going to be a failure. Nobody's signing up. But the last three weeks, everybody signed up. <laughs> and it just happens that way every year. And now you know. It's like, don't worry about it. But you can't – as an event producer, it's really, it's really hard to plan because – you think it's going to come, but you just don't know for sure. But That's that Aussie lifestyle. That's oh, what that is. Gosh, yeah. Well, plus, I mean, it's the end of summer there. So they're, yeah, you know, well, the last exactly thing they right. want to do is uh, <laughs> it's go and register for an event. But, <laughs> no, I, I just checked it. It's it's like you know, 80 degrees. There's 85 degrees there. It's oh. going to be fantastic. I'm like, well, you're yeah. used to that in L.A. I, I know. Mean, I, I mean, that's from L.A. That's like, oh, that's like a, that's like Tuesday. Right? <laughs> we've had, well, we've had <laughs> the whole, obviously, the whole Midwest, Northeast of it just horrible winters so i'm looking forward to it. it'll be fun we're, we're absolutely so do we have any absolutely. do we have any news this week we going do on? actually other than the apple watch getting uh, which i didn't see any of that is, by the way it's it's breaking today even as we record this that's just now starting to parse through all the so things just real quickly said. i knew the apple watch was going on what, what are the other things that happened the other big things they opened with this which sort of surprised everybody which is now a standalone service from hbo uh, so for 14 bucks a month, you'll be able to get access to all the previous shows 
that HBO's ever run and all the future shows that HBO's ever going to run, and you'll have it through Apple TV. And so really? you'll be able to buy, yeah. So you'll be able to buy HBO right through the Apple TV, and there, it's that's that's a big that's a big step. It, I mean, speaking of content, that's a huge step. Yeah, that's big news. Yeah. Well, I knew yeah. HBO was going to do that, but I didn't know they were going to do it directly through Apple TV. I mean, I, yeah. I figured, but I didn't know the announcement was coming. So that's cool. Yeah. And then what's the other thing? The other thing was, of course, they have a new MacBook out, which you know I'm all salivating over because it's uh, it's you know it's it's new. It's the as they're saying, it's the first fanless uh, MacBook or first fanless laptop, really, where everything is solid state. So it's got the thinness of a MacBook Air, but it's got the power of a MacBook Pro. There's going to come in a couple of different colors now, um, and uh, it's got all of the sort of big high-end specs of a MacBook Pro. So a guy like me is just sort of looking at that and, you know, drooling all over it. So basically when you when you order and you open up the box, it's there's a separate fan. So when it gets yeah. high, you have to fan it yourself? Is that how it works? I, there, I, I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I'll tell you what. Well, I've, I've had a Lenovo for two years and I've had the solid-state drive and I, it's just been awesome. I mean, I yeah. can't I, – I couldn't go back to the old drive, I don't think, because everything's just so much faster. It's just – you just don't get as much space, and I'm sure they're figuring – well, you know, of course, Apple has probably figured that whole thing out. But Yeah, this new one is going to have 256 gigs of, of storage. I don't so, know. I don't yeah. think it's enough. I know it might not be enough. They might. Not it's be not enough. enough for us because every podcast we do is – yeah, it's just we need more space. Absolutely, and then of course, yeah, and then of course you had the watch, right? You had the watch. They, yes. they they announced the watch. It looks cool. Take my money. I'm in. I'm gonna buy one. There's no doubt about it. It looks awesome. All right. Well, that's what we're doing. We're gonna get to Sydney. We're gonna go to Bondi Beach, and then we're gonna go shopping for an iWatch. I don't think they're out yet. I don't think they come out until I think the I thought I think I saw the release date said April 10th. Oh, man. So yeah, oh, that just hurts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What else do we have? What's All right. On? So our first our first article uh, of this show comes to us courtesy of a couple of places because we wanted to be, uh, you know, in the spirit of being fair and balanced, I guess. Um, the headline is Google Plus is Google Plus finally dead. Um, this was big. It, it basically broke at the end of last week. Um, and the article that we're going to link in the show notes comes to us from a couple of places. One is from the UK, from the independent.co.uk, um, which really talks about how Google Plus might be dead as it splits off into a couple of different things. And then a, another article uh, that comes from Wired.com, which actually is a little more concrete in proclaiming the Google Plus we knew is dead. Um, and basically, I you know, I'm still – I'd love to get your take on this show because I'm still a little confused by it because – the articles I read sort of – they all come to the same conclusion that photos and streams uh, and those things are leaving um, and splitting off into different products. And then I'm not sure what's left other than sort of what we know and love as Google Plus because Hangouts, I guess, is also getting into a, a, another uh, a product. Um, and everybody sort of seems to be taking this one of two ways. One is sort of no news. This isn't any news. Basically, Google is taking the what used to be called Google Plus and turning it into a bunch of tied together products. Um, or this is the end of Google Plus as we know it, and they're basically going to rebrand these things and go out with these new things. What? So, what say you? What did you think of all this? Well, I've read multiple articles on this, and what what I've determined is that this is no news at this point. It sounds like an organizational change where. Uh, 
this I think it's Brady is his first name Horowitz is, is right. basically That's taking right. over this and they're Bradley Horowitz yeah Bradley Horowitz yeah, yeah so they're yeah. they're making that change and everybody's saying oh my gosh they're dead well I mean, you and I were talking about the Wired article before Wired goes through and I thought it was a pretty interesting article there's a couple things that come out in that first of all that Google Plus still has a pretty good Viber community in certain niches. And I think that's the thing that we shouldn't forget is that, like, if you're in photography, Google Plus is the place to be. And it even yeah. says in the article that for photo storage, Google Plus did it better. Google did it better than everybody. So I just think what they're I, – I, I, they haven't even made a mention of what they're going to do as the Google Plus brand. But I think that they just haven't made up their mind what exactly they're doing. The functionality is still going to be there. We've got a new organizational change coming in. And uh, the one thing that as you as you read the comments in if the comments are true, which there's a lot of experts in the comments of the Wired article, they were basically trashing this Wired article and saying that the author didn't know what they were doing. But the thing that you learn in it is that there are as many active users using Google Plus as there are Twitter. That's what the sort of the consensus is. And I didn't know that. I'm, did you know that? Uh, well, I, I'd love to know the source for that. But, I, yeah, I, 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 I'm I'm down for believing that. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess that's something yeah. we have to check out. But I, I think the issue is is that everybody went out and said Google Plus is finally dead. And I don't know if that's the case. But here's the thing, and you and I have been talking about this forever. You, you, Any of these companies, whether it's Google, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, don't build your audience and don't spend a lot of time on these platforms from an audience building standpoint because just as, as what's happening here, here's another organizational change. What do we? What was it, six months ago we talked about the other one? That's right. How many? Or I mean, they're they're going to do it again because Google still. I mean, Google tinkers and they experiment. And they're trying to figure this thing out, and they're going to take what works. Seemingly, like Hangouts have worked pretty well. Photo sharing has worked pretty well. So they're going to figure out where can we put these things to, to maximize users, and you get more ads in front of those people. Great, they're going to do that. They're going to trash the rest. I'm assuming Google Plus as a brand will probably go away. They already did the failed YouTube experiment with the comment integration, so we know that's not going to work, and. I would just say just make sure if you are on Google Plus and you're trying to build an audience there, be careful because tomorrow yeah. the rug may get pulled out from under your feet. And then what are you to do? And you and I have shared on how, I don't know how many uh, workshops you and I have done where we've had the conversations where people are like, oh, I spent all this money on Facebook and building this audience. And then, of course, now none of our organic uh comments or content are getting through and everybody's all upset but you you don't own like media companies would never do this but for some reason as brands we fall in we get suckered into the latest technology like oh there's another place we can build an audience but we don't own it so there you go right well and and my and and along those same lines my my two takeaways for this is one, one that's a great takeaway for marketers which is Look, this stuff is ephemeral at best, and your your mileage is definitely going to vary when you when you go and put your eggs in the basket of wow. Did I I just went through a lot of metaphors there, didn't I? Anyway, so <laughs> but the the two things that I would actually really take away is one this yet again this just shows me how inept Google is at telling their story. You know, it, so. It, it, you know, one of two things is true. One is it is true that they are actually experimenting and trying stuff out and really just sort of feeling their way through this, and great. But they're not tell, they're they're not communicating that very well. 
you know, they're not – in other words, they're not making me want to spend any more time investing my time in in, a, in the social network called Google+. I have a profile. I get people putting me into their circles all the time and I spend zero time there because quite frankly, I'm just afraid of spending time there because I don't want to spend any time there and have it all of a sudden go away. That's and a the second point. And the second thing is, so if there if there is some sort of sort of vision for a Google Plus competitor to a visual type of social network a la Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn or something like that, they're certainly not doing themselves any favors with the audiences that they're trying to attract into that, which would be the people like not us, right? The people that are currently outside the field looking in going, why do I want to join this thing? And the second thing is – is that as they do all this experimentation, I, I'm feeling like the original thing that we came to conclusion to, whatever it was, six months ago when the first sort of up, you know, uproar happened, is that to me it feels like what they're doing is moving Google Plus more toward that social identity, sort of things that connect all of their different applications together. So Google Plus becomes like an identity system that connects a lot of different apps together instead of sort of this central place where you go. And, and so – that feels like it's what they're doing to me, but you know it's hard to tell, quite frankly, because they're not communicating it very clearly. Well, it seems. I mean, if you read the Wired article, they really talk about this how it's really uh, split into photo photo sharing and messaging, which is super interesting, right? So you got like WhatsApp on the messaging side, you got Instagram right. on the photo sharing, and it seems like everything's one way or the other. So I think that that's what Google's going toward. I don't think that Google Plus is going to exist. It might just be Google. I'm not sure how it's going to work, but just a couple things because I brought it up. So in the first comment, and this is from Vance McAllister. I don't know who Vance is, but he was very active on this Wired commentary. Uh, <laughs> Vance says that uh, Google Plus is a vibrant community with the same number number of monthly active users as Twitter. So that's something we need to check out from a different source. Sure. And, and there's like a thousand people that went and agreed with this guy. So I, you know, I don't know. Right. Now, all thousand of them are on Google. Exactly. Plus. All and, right. and I'll tell you what. Everybody in the comments is active on Google Plus because they're very, they were very upset about this article. Sure. sure. Now it, I well, went, they spent a lot of time there. I mean, there's there's there are people who spent a lot of time building up their Google Plus profile. Right. They don't want to see it go away. Yeah. They don't want to see it go. It's a, it's I a get big that. investment. I get that. Uh, but just real quick, just to finalize Google's comment. So Google Plus is. Uh, technical person in Finland, uh, Jana Nystrom, she says that basically all they're doing, they were restructuring th- some things to make sure there's a better user experience. This is absolutely no news at all. But I think it goes back to your, it's like, it's just like they didn't, this didn't have to happen. They could have right. told their story a little bit differently. Well, that's, and they just I mean, let it get out this way when Horowitz said he there was this change, and then everybody confirmed that the change was made, and they're saying, "Oh, this is what's happening." I wish they they could have done right. it in a different way. They're they're doing what I what I talk about in workshops. They're letting the story write them, and that is you know, and 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 that is just a classic mistake of 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 marketing where you're letting basically everybody write your own story. And it's, and it's just a, it's, it's a huge mistake. Google does that a lot though. Matt cuts and search does that all the time. Like they'll just say, here's what we're doing. And then everybody's got to figure out, okay, Matt cuts says this, what does it mean for Google? Well, I get that. I, so I kind of get that, right. I kind of get the idea of sort of keeping the algorithm in the dark. I, you know, I, and, and why that's more opaque than not, because what they're doing is they're building, you know, they're building, the uh, the mystique and the the economy, quite frankly, within that, I totally get that. Doing this for their products, 
is 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 a big mistake in my is, is in my. Well, mind. I think that that's a really good segue to the next one. Well, it is actually. You like? Because did you plan this? That was beautiful. I, I you know, I, yeah, I, I, really I, try, I try. I care. Two Joe. snaps I do up it because for you. I care. I care because you're beautiful, Joe. <laughs> All right, we're not going to go down that road this show. All right, the next uh, article comes to us from newscientist.com. This is a, a rarity for PNR, where we actually pull an article from New Scientist. But great, great website, by the way, if you're into geeky like things. The headline here is Google wants to rank sites based on facts, not links. Um, and I, the way this article opens it made me laugh because, hey, guess what? The internet isn't full of facts. The internet's full of other things besides facts. And they go through a number of things about, you know, everything from how news stories are spreading like wildfire and gossip and all those sorts of things. And there's a the article details about how there's a Google research team right now that is looking to create better algorithms for looking at information that is factual and looking at for ways to triangulate that fact and using that as a method of surfacing better content. This is a, you know, I won't even begin to understand how they would go about doing this, but, you know, half of me says, this is a great idea, and the other half says, wow, this is a slippery slope that mm-hmm. we'll never be The other half of you is completely it? scared, right? It's just exactly. like, well, they, I'm infatuated. So they go through this detail on this knowledge vault. So I'm right. thinking... Who is the keeper of the right, knowledge, of the knowledge fault? fault? I'm thinking of right. like the God particle in Angels and Demons. Like what is exactly who has access to the God particle? It's it just it, in reading this, it sounded a lot like that. I yeah, this has Big Brother written all over it. But that it's a great idea. In essence, you're right. It's it would be awesome if there was one place where all the knowledge was kept. It's funny. I was talking with my kids the other day just about school textbooks and we were talking about I was talking about how my textbooks when I was growing up didn't have all the right information in it and now because right. we were talking about Christopher Columbus and some of the things that say oh he, a lot of the things that he did weren't mentioned in the textbook that we're learning about now and it's just it was the whole thing's interesting and now so who's going to say that this is the truth Sure. I don't I mean sure. do you have an idea I mean they go through sort of the well, system to do it but I don't know if it's it, it, without artificial intelligence, I mean, talk about yeah. I mean, <laughs> talk about it's, machine it's, aided it's, learning here. That's exactly. exactly what this would be. Exactly. I mean, you know, so there's a there's a classic that historians will will tell you. They'll say, you know, history is written by the winners, right? And you know, so when we, you know, when you go actually go back and look at things that you know we consider to be historical fact, there is usually a lot more nuance <laughs> and, so, and sometimes outright, you know. <laughs> The opposite, you know, Christopher Columbus is a great one, right? You know, the other good one, and just because my my son is working on Nikola Tesla, as uh, yeah. I mean, it's Nikola oh, Tesla sure. versus Thomas Edison. Yeah, exactly. Thomas Edison was just a much better marketer than Nikola yes. Tesla, and a lot That's of people right. don't realize that majority of the uh, houses and and that are the electricity in the houses that we have today is really from Nikola Tesla and not necessarily sure. from Edison, but people don't realize that. So, oh, who's sure. keeping I mean, the knowledge on that one? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's 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 a really fascinating topic, and and certainly maybe beyond the remit of you know us two sitting up in the rafters. <laughs> no, we're gonna you and I marketing. we're gonna figure it out right now. Yeah, exactly. So, but it's it is a fascinating topic because when you start looking at it, yeah, I mean, they talk about how they're going to start referencing sites like Snopes and and some other sites that you know Wikipedia and all of that. 
and I'm sure that there's some level of the, the overall strategy here, which I think is a really interesting one and, and, and why I think it's so important for Google sort of at, when you look at it and a content perspective is it's yet again another sign toward marketers really wanting to put forward the best content and not the most content. And, and I think increasingly what's going to happen is, you know, other than, you know, if I want to write an article and I want that to rank high on somebody else's website because I want it to point to mine. So I'm going to go write for Huffington Post or those sorts of things. One of the things that I'm really going to look at is the level of quality of content on that publication. So this has ramifications for native advertising. It's got ramifications for doing guest posting. That reputation, that quote-unquote knowledge-based trust score, if you're going to rank high in search, is going to become an increasingly important thing for your strategy. And just so everybody's clear – and the article talks about this. Most of the, in most of the cases, your online reputation in Google's eyes is based on the quality of the sites that link to you. That's in a right. lot of cases, at least that's the belief, and that's what everybody seems to go for. So, in, if they switch this around, it would be some designated body that said, "This <laughs> is the, this is the truth." And they, you're right; they said Snopes and FactCheck.org, and and they're right. to create this knowledge vault. That it would it would have a, probably a, a, all kinds of sessions and pings against that content to figure out is it the truth or not. Um, I think the one thing that I learned from this, like if we're going to do, and I don't know if this is ever going to happen, but it's just interesting to talk about. I think the one thing I would make sure is to go back and and review all my old site content, old blog content, and oh, have sure. a regular update to go back and make sure that that's still correct, cited properly, linked to the right sources. Uh, because I, we know wow. a lot of companies that don't do that. Can you imagine the level of work? I mean, that, I mean, just the level of work for CMI and that, but the level of work that that would take for somebody like you know, think about somebody like HubSpot or somebody like you know that's been just pouring content out for years. How how much work that would be? Well, you can't do it. And that's the thing is you can't do it on a one time basis because you yeah. know these audit processes are so huge. And they're they're almost unwieldy. What you have to do, and, and you know this because you're the CMS guy, you have to right. make sure. And you say when you create the piece of content, you check in the CMS and say, okay, we need a notification in six months to have the team go back and review this article. <laughs> you would, would you like to know how many companies do that? Uh, I would like to know. Does the answer anybody? is zero. Nobody zero. does that. Zero does that. There zero companies do that. <laughs> There's got to be one. Well, there probably is one. I'm, I'm, I'm. So one percent. We'll say one. Only a Sith deals in absolute. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Moving on to our next article. This one comes to us from Ad Age, and uh, this one is a fascinating one for me, coming from Hollywood. The New York Times wants aspiring directors to create native advertising. And we're also going to link to the actual New York Times uh, application if you would like to do that. But basically, the article talks about how you know a good review in the New York Times can really make or break a filmmaker's career. But now, this new T-Brand studio, which we've talked about many times on the show, which is the native advertising studio that creates all the content for New York Times' native advertising effort, is going to start opening up and saying, if you would like to be a director and, and basically create content for us, we'd like to have you. And so interestingly, the sort of requirements are that you've, you've done stuff, 
but you can't be represented by an agency, so you need to be independent. Or, an, you know, when I say agency, I mean not a CAA or a William Morris, but also not an ad agency either. You need to be sort of an independent, although they do make the claim that if you're not, you know, if, if you yourself are an agency, in other words, you own your own small business, they would sort of look past that. And it's a really interesting idea here where they're going to, I guess, crowdsource and create a kind of recognition for independent directors, in this case, for creating really interesting video content for their advertisers. What did you think about this? Well, explain. If I'm right about I thought that they were going to have these companies submit their work, and then of them, they were going to select five that would then be sponsored and part That's of That's correct. Right? So here's okay. First, and probably and probably be an ongoing person okay. that they can go to, right? And it's not just so they basically just, yeah they yeah. can make the cut and then they become part of the network. That's right. It's American Idol, right? Yeah, they're doing the they're doing a very small version of American Idol for directors. I think from a marketing standpoint, it's great for the New York Times. I don't see it working at all. I and I actually here's the problem that that you're going to have with it. At least the first run, I'm sure they'll figure it out. But here's the problem with the first run. All right, you're going to get five amazing stories. I'm sure it's going to be fantastic. Okay, who's going to sponsor that? How, I mean, th- those stories might not have anything to do with the sponsor story and something they were going to want to promote. That's so, why that's so that's why it's on the back end of this. So the way this is going to here's my prediction of the way this is going to work. All right. These directors, yes, you're going to get five amazing things that they're actually going to they, and I, I'll bet you they'll find sponsors for these things. So they're going to go out and let's find assume. sponsors and say, oh, this this one could be sponsored by so-and-so. Exactly. But let's assume that they even don't. They could use those five as great content to put out and say, this is just wonderful content we're putting out. And then use those – and so – and what that does is it then makes the native advertising play – because guess who's reading the New York Times and looking at those native ads? Other brands. And they go, wow, I want that guy to direct my content for the New York Times native advertising piece. This is the, na- this is the New York Times putting together their director's reel of, of stuff that they can actually do. And then they'll use a space in their in the New York Times to actually highlight, hey, have you seen this guy's piece? It's awesome. If they find a sponsor, great. It paid for it. But guess what? They got the content for free anyway. It's not like they paid for it. And so they're using the contest as a, as a wonderful conceit to basically create a – basically their own director's reel. It's, it's, I think it's genius. I think, I think it's, it's I, interesting. But look – so I'll play devil's advocate with this portion. Sure. What, what, was the, what was the band that got uh, asked to perform at South by Southwest for free for the promotion? Did you see oh, that? Oh, right. I did. Okay, I did. so a band. I don't. I, I didn't have. Know. A, I have issues with that. Too. Yeah, I didn't know. I didn't know the band, but the band said, hey, "And I get the drill, right? Hey, we're going to put you out in front of all the influencers. And you're going to have a great audience, and you'll get right. deals and whatever for free." Sure. Well, what's the difference between that? Who, which actually a lot of people were against, and like, oh, how dare South by Southwest do that? Which it, right, it happens all the time, by the way. So uh, yeah, they, that's why I have an issue with this, but but we can talk about that in a second. Right? Yeah, so I I don't so what's the what's the difference? There's really no difference between those two. Well, the 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 difference would be that theoretically this is something that the director has already created. And oh. so it's already out there. In other words, it's already something. So you're going to give them separate. rights to you. Yeah. So we created yeah. this. So we'll give you rights to use it. You exactly. Find a they don't have to actually. Sh- they don't me. have to show up, right? Yeah. They don't have to show up and play and do stuff like a band would have to do and work. They basically they've got this thing. You know, it's like having a photo in your in your portfolio, and they go, "Hey, 
would you like to submit that photo photo for a you know for a contest and you go great and then you can either choose to give them the rights to do that or 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 not and then hopefully it becomes you know a way to show off your talent so that you actually do get hired to actually create the thing the original thing you, you ever just get a feeling in your you know, like your gut instinct that just doesn't feel right that's what this this just doesn't feel like the new york times to me it just doesn't feel like that it I, feels like so many more important things that they should be doing Half the reason I love this is because it's it's because it's, it's not because it's because it's, it's not outside exactly right exactly right I think it's I, I absolutely really like this I think it's going to be very interesting to see what they get and 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 to see what they do with it you know what I mean it's it's you know not, that'll be the real challenge here is is not getting the submissions they'll get the submissions but but really what will they do with it I'm uh, I'm 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 saying four out of ten. I'm, that's it. <laughs> that's Four out of ten. What? Four out of ten. What? Tomatoes? <laughs> on a, yeah, it's a forty-two on a Rotten Tomatoes scale. I'm Joe not, gives it a four out of I'm ten. Not, I'm not. I'm, I'm gonna, not feeling I, it. I hope I'm it works. Give I, it a I think six it, out of ten. Hey, I just it just didn't. This doesn't make sense to me. Just can't compute <laughs> on four that out level. Of 10. <laughs> All right. Well, let's try and get at least a six out of ten with this next. Oh, let's one. do this one. Yes. Yeah, our last article, which we're actually going to pair with a question that we actually got from somebody uh, in the audience, um, because the article is relatively interesting, but the question is more interesting, I think. Um, anyway, the the headline, it comes to us from PRDaily.com. The headline of the article is, The Future of PR is Content Marketing. Okay, so first of all, duh. Um, Hat tip, by the way, to Carl Yeah, who uh, also sent this in, and uh, uh, and so hi, Carl. Um, thank you very much for this. And the article opens up by talking about how basically the PR term is really falling in relations to search velocity. Um, and if you go out and look at Google Trends and you look at concepts like inbound marketing and content marketing, and then you compare that to what's going on with PR, that really they're they're, they're, one is falling and the other two are sort of really rising. And that's really the entire scope of the article. What's, what was interesting to me, and then, Joe, I would love to get your take on this. What's interesting to me is, is that, one, the comments here, about half the people raked this author over the coals by saying, look, this is ridiculous. This is not statistics and this is you know hardly scientific. And the other half were like, yeah, that's right. PR needs to change. And, and I can agree with both, right? Um, but to me... It sort of really tees up, a, a, you know, where we're still in this sort of, you know, because some of the co- comments were like, you know, well, what is content marketing? I don't even understand that anyway. And, and I mean, you know, once we think we're sort of like well understood, we're, we're not. And, and anyway, what was your take on this? I, I, I'm really interested. Uh, well, the same as you, just because somebody searches for something more on the web does not mean it's – Right, people are spending more money any on more it, or, or it's less any valid. more right, important, exactly. or there's more. There's way more public relations right. titles and content marketing titles in the world. There's way more money being spent on traditional PR than content marketing still. Uh, but yeah, it makes sense that more people would be searching on content marketing and inbound marketing because they're newer things right. to most, even though they've been around forever. They're newer things to most companies, so it's being right. searched at a higher level, and that all makes sense to me. Um, there are more people searching for Justin Bieber than the Beatles. I guarantee it, but that let's just leave that hanging out. That's there. a that's actually I'll, a really good analogy. That's a really good way to put it. It doesn't mean any that it really doesn't mean anything. It, it means that there is some momentum. 
exactly behind it. It doesn't mean that the practice has changed forever. And you and I know that really well because we go into these companies and nothing is different that they haven't really changed anything for the past 20 years. That's right. It's just <laughs> they're just trying to trying to act a little bit differently, but they're really not <laughs> doing anything differently. Um, so I wish that the article and this is to your point, you still have to put definitions in. Because if you don't put a definition in, they didn't define these. They could have just spent a little bit of the article and defined content marketing, inbound marketing, public relations even. Maybe they don't have to because it's on PR Daily. But then everybody goes in the comments saying, what's content marketing? I don't get it. Isn't any marketing content? Like how many times have we heard that? I'm like, come on. Are you serious? Right. So anyways, and here's the thing. The, the, the sole de- this is what I would like them to talk about with content marketing is the biggest thing and all these definitions that they're talking about they're not they're, they're not mentioning audience building an audience uh, I, that's uh, the most important yeah. thing and nobody that's the difference and that's what I would love them to say it's like look content marketing is the idea that we're trying to build our own audience by providing valuable content experiences consistently over time. But they're not talking about that. They're talking about, oh, we're going to create inbound processes and keywords and social stuff and share stuff on on search and social. And that's how we're going to attract people and we're going to get them into our funnel. Yeah. And I just think that there's we're missing the bigger picture here. Yeah. Well, it brings and it brings up, you know, so as we mentioned that we there was a question that actually came in this week from someone. His name is. Uh, you know what? I'm assuming it's a him. I, I shouldn't make that assumption. The name is Kieran Hughes. I'm going to assume, Kieran, you're a guy, but if you're not, my sincere apologies. Um, and the question is really uh, his question was Are people focusing too much on the content side and not enough on the marketing side? And he goes on to explain his question by saying, look, there's so many blog posts, there's resources, there's podcasts, there's talking about, you know, and we always talk about having the right strategy in place for creating content that offers value outside of your product or service. Thank you very much, Kieran, by getting that little piece in there. But he said there's very little talk around how we seed and amplify and promote the content. And he says people will say distribute through social, and but that's not exactly a strategy. He said – and so his background is in you know SEO and that sort of thing. And he wants a little more conversation around this idea of how do we actually start to promote the content that we're creating for that business result. And, and I know we both have very, very deep takes on this, probably more than we want to spend on the podcast today. But there's some it's, – it's a really good question. Well, I think that it – what – what it makes me think it's a great question, and what it makes me think of is something that you and I mention all the time. When you think about, we have to treat our content marketing like we're launching a product. If we were treating, it's almost like, oh, we're going to create. Okay, we sell cereal, but we don't have a plan for distribution of that cereal. So where's the exactly. cereal? Is all in the? It's all in distribution. We can't get it anywhere because we didn't plan past distribution. That's. Where, where a lot of these plans are. And that's where we talk about creating a documented content marketing strategy. Because if you think about it from that, and that's not, not just who's my audience, what am I trying to do? Who's my audience? What's my content niche that I'm going to be the expert in? And then how do I build that platform out? And then you go along the process and then you say, okay, well, how am I going to market the marketing? How am I going to, how am I going to get that out there? And a lot of people stop at the completion of the content asset and they slow, solely rely on their existing channels that they may not have built up a loyal audience for and social channels. And that's where it just doesn't get any residence. Now, I think the good thing is, is that we've seen in probably the last 12 months, there's more and more enterprises that are saying, look, let's 
create a little bit less content and put a little more of that content creation funding into marketing of that. Have you seen, you've seen that as well, correct? I have certainly seen more budget become available for content promotion. I'm not sure that I have seen yet um, uh, the sort of tipping point to a trend of looking at content and content marketing as a product development uh, process rather than a campaign. I would agree with process. that. Yes, they're not. Lo- they're absolutely not looking at it as, as product development. Right. There's yeah. a book coming out that talks a little bit about that. Uh, what, was, what is what is that book? What's the I book? don't know. I don't. I have no idea. I've I've lost track of this darn book. So um, yes, there's a book coming out. My book is coming out, and and hopefully we'll called uh, Experiences: hope- The Seventh yeah. Era of Marketing. You're so, correct. You're so sweet. So sweet. Yes, that's exactly it. So hopefully coming out any day now and talking through exactly this, right, which is treating the creation of content as a product development process. And by doing that, it inherently changes the nature of the investment. Right now, the way we make investments is marketing as we say we're going to invest in this campaign, start, middle, end, see how it did, and then, you know, rinse and repeat. And that is very, very different than when we want to invest in a content marketing initiative, which is we're investing in it for the long haul. We're investing in it like it's a product. So we want to invest in it, give it a marketing strategy, give it a business strategy, give it an infrastructure strategy, give it all these parts that we would normally not apply to a campaign. And that's the real difference. Well, I think the other thing just to mention is, and we've been seeing this a lot and why you and I say, look, the, the answer is not necessarily creating a content marketing group. Because what will happen is, let's say there's a content creation group. That content creation group creates the content, but they're not responsible for the distribution and marketing and ultimate the measurement of that. And it falls on other groups where they may or may not see importance. They may or may not like it. They may may or may not fit their idea of what the campaign should be. And that's it falls on its face. So you've got none of those silos talking to each other. So that's why. If you have a digital group and you have the content creation group, but then digital, everybody's on the same page there, it usually works a lot better. That's why small businesses sometimes do a lot better than big businesses because they're all talking to each other. They yeah. all, they're all on the same page with what the goals are instead of these different groups. I don't want to put it all on large enterprises. There's some that do a really, really good job like Kraft and Coca-Cola and whatnot, but there are more than not that, that are not doing that. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So hopefully that answers the question. And um, well, unequivocally answers. (laughs) We still have a long way to go, but we're getting there. I think exactly. Speaking of content promotion, we have a new sponsor. We do. Well, thank you for noticing. We this this week we are sponsored by our good friends at Digital Relevance. It's funny we talk about content promotion because. Uh, relevance.com which is the site that Digital Relevance has. They do a great job on content promotion. Um, they are giving us this wonderful content package called the Media Buyer's Guide to Sponsored Editorial Content. If that's not mm. like up our alley, it's I don't fan- know. I mean, I don't know what is. They didn't. But call I can it- tell you, I've seen pieces of this before because I know what they've been working on, and I've gotten some visibility into this. This is good stuff. I'm telling you, this is good stuff. And they didn't call it native advertising, which I, I kind of like yeah. actually that yeah. they did. So the Media Buyer's Guide to Sponsored Editorial con- Content includes everything you need to know about sponsored content from the evolution, the controversy around it, and regulation that you need to know to the execution tools to what they believe is a proven buying strategy. And I would agree with you. They've done some really good work 
I would take a serious look at this. So if you're interested in anything around sponsored editorial content, native advertising, you're going to want to check this out. They also say it includes the world's first, I don't know if this is true, but let's just take it at its word, the world's first research study and statistical analysis to determine fair market value prices for sponsored content. Have yeah. you had some insight into that at all? We did. And we, and we actually, I don't even know if you remember, we talked a little bit about oh, it on the show right. when he first came out with it. And, um, you know, look, I think it's, it's as good as anything like that's going to get. And I think it's, you know, from an, you know, as much as I have a distaste for algorithms, it, it, this is looking at it's this. It's a good place a, to start. That's it's right. a great place to start. It's a great place to start and just at least understand the order of magnitude of what you should be spending uh, versus, you know, on a, on a particular platform. And, and so, you know, I wouldn't use it as a Bible, but I certainly would use it as a great best practice. Well, it would at least at least gives you the information to put together exactly. a strategy around exactly. it, and that's what we like. So, the Media Buyer's Guide to Sponsored Editorial Con- Content for Digital Relevance, you can get it at bit.ly bit.ly slash media dash buyers dash guide, of course. Media dash buyers dash guide. It'll be on the show notes on Saturday on the Content Marketing Institute.com site. Check it out. Special thanks to our new sponsor. We love having you. And here's to many, many more. So that's fantastic. What? What? That's fantastic. You're beautiful. It's beautiful. (laughs) It's beautiful. (laughs) I'm not even going to go there this time. Although we did get – by the way, we should tell people that are listening to this for the first time, if you really want an interesting episode, go listen to the last one, (laughs) 68. It was a hoot. Yeah, you would have thought this one would have been a special one, but ah, hence I regress. Yes, yes, yes. Let's let's move on there. Moving on to our rants and raves where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave on something that has us sort of tied in knots or something that makes us want to spring forward, as it were. Um, And let's see here. I have this old marketing this week, so I'm going first. Okay. And I have a short rant and then a short rave. Um, my rant this week comes from two sources. One is Ad Age, uh, and the other is Marketing Charts. And they both reference the same study, um, which is basically a study that was done, I guess, just the, in the last few weeks, or released in the last few weeks, a CMO survey, uh, which was released um, by Duke University in conjunction with the American Marketing Association and McKinsey. Uh, so not too many cooks in that kitchen, but uh, not with that notwithstanding. Um, the study is really interesting. The CMO study is very interesting, and it basically looks at 288 senior marketers across the U.S., um, and about 70% of those work for B2B organizations. And so the, the, here's my little rant. Um, basically, the articles are could not be more different. And in fact, I, I had to go check that they were actually referring to the same study. The Ad Age article basically takes the tack of saying CMOs are planning on boosting marketing budgets um, by almost 9% this year. So CMOs are feeling bullish. It's awesome. CMOs are feeling great about where the economy is and it's all great and everybody in there, blah, blah, blah. And by the way, they're going to – my favorite part of that is they say customer acquisition, customer retention, and customer purchase volume are all increasing as parts of the marketing strategy. Wow, that's incredible. All right. Anyway, I don't want to be too snarky on that. But basically, my challenge is is that the end of the article in AdAge goes on to talk about how CMOs are increasing their budget spend on analytics, on measurement, because they don't feel that they have that solved yet. Then cut to the article from marketingcharts.com, which basically takes the exact opposite angle and basically says CMOs 
are not making heads or tails out of analytics. And so they're feeling horrible about themselves. Things aren't really working that well. And they're going to be increasing their budgets um, into marketing analytics to try and, you know, and try and stave off all of this kind of thing. Um, And basically, they're looking at doubling almost the budgets over analytics over the next three years. What this tells me is, is that basically, if, if we take this at its word, marketing, and I can speak to this from experience, marketing is still struggling. I mean, the question I get asked over and over again at conferences and at workshops is, how do we measure? 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 And this isn't a content marketing issue. This is a marketing problem. And I'm quickly coming to the conclusion that we're always going to suck at measurement. There's just no way we're not going to. We're never going to reduce this down to a science. And my feeling is, is that as we start, as marketers are sort of slowly coming to that sort of realization, maybe we're going through the Kubler-Ross sort of five stages of coming to that realization, is that we constantly have to sort of pour more money into the measurement and analytics part to make our seals feel better that we're somehow going to get to this magical unicorn place called scientific data-driven marketing. And it's just not going to happen. And this survey, I don't know why this one sort of set me off on this, but this survey is like, I hate the idea of doubling the budgets on analytics before we're even, Scott Stratton said this really well one time. He said, you know, maybe we should get it good at small data before we actually make it any bigger. <laughs> and so let's, yeah. let's get good at the little stuff first before we actually start pouring money into these huge analytic systems that don't necessarily pay for themselves or we even understand them. Anyway, so end of rant there. So you were never going to get it. That's what you, so that's I'm, it. I'm Robert Rose has yes. spoken. We are never going to get it. Yeah, you know, it's we've been talking about getting good at measurement from the night John Wanamaker said this, I don't know, 100 years ago, where half my advertising is productive, I just don't know which half, which is quoted all the time in analytics yeah. presentations. We're no better today. And in fact, you might argue we're actually worse off today than understanding where half our spend goes. And so I just don't I don't see it really you know, we've been talking about getting data-driven and scientifically driven for 15 years, and it's just not happening. You know, we're getting – we have more. We have way more analytics, but we're not really any good at understanding that, you know, to a to, to an algorithmic degree. I'm not saying we're not getting better at measuring things. We are getting better at measuring things. What it means for strategy in the business, we're still in many cases sort of working off the best we got. And in most cases, the best we got is pretty darn good. So in many cases, I kind of want to go, you know what? Just stop. Stop there. Let's focus on getting really great at content and really great at marketing strategy and then maybe putting some more money into the measurement of stuff. Well, I don't want to get off on a rant here, but the, I, I think a lot of the cases we're just asking the wrong questions. That's exactly So right. we're collecting That's more exactly data right. because because there's more data to Because collect. we can. That's exactly right. We can right. do it. And so we're going to do it. And that's why – I get that question all the time. I'm sure you, you know you do as well. When we're out speaking, and I am talking about measuring this thing, and they get in all the, and I'm like, let's just simplify it. All I want to know is if I build an audience, what's the difference between exactly. my audience of content, my my con, the audience that I built my content around, and those that don't engage in my content? You can yeah. find that. It actually is not rocket science. You can you could say, do they stay longer? Do they buy more? What do they do that's different? That's you right. can get you can, but it's it's almost like we don't set those hypotheses up ahead of time like you make this I, lo- I always love that part in uh, 
in managing content marketing where he wrote about the, the business purpose, creating the business purpose and going through that whole process and the hypothesis and creating that. A lot of us don't do that anymore. Right. <laughs> don't even yeah. create about, okay, if we do this, what's the hypothesis? What do we think is going to happen? And then right. we go ahead and figure out, okay, well, how do we collect that information so that we can make the case? Exactly. I just don't think a lot of this, maybe we're just making it so complicated. And I think this, I mean, you you mentioned a couple episodes ago about the idea of seeing a lot of companies just simplify. Yes, that's that's happening, and that's that's a trend that I am all over, and I love this trend of simplification. Eduardo Conrado talks about this. The he's the new chief innovation officer, and not new; he's been there for a while. But his new title is chief innovation officer at at Motorola, and he talks about simplification. And I think it's just a it's a huge trend, and I I, I really hope it's one that sticks. Uh, do you have another thing? Yes, I just a very quick uh, rave here because I just have to mention this. Um, this also comes from Adweek, um, and it's basically uh, a new initiative being put forth to market the movie Unfinished Business um, that stars Vince Vaughn, of course. And what they did was they issued um, Unfinished Business is about him as an executive, and he's on a last kind of you know uh, last ditch effort to try and save the company and blah blah blah. But it's a, he's a normal business guy, and so they put out stock photos of him in very stock photo. I mean, all the stars of the movie are in these stock photos and they're free for use. They actually, you, you can use them for, and they're just like standard stock photos that you'd put in a blog post or you'd put on your website or you put in a marketing brochure, but they have like Vince Vaughn in them and they're just, and they're amazing and they're so wonderful. And it, I can't believe nobody has done this yet before. Isn't that but something? Isn't that the truth? Like when you saw it, you're like, I can't believe nobody did this. I can't believe it's nobody brilliant. did this before. Yeah. It's so brilliant. It's wonderful. So I just had to rave about it anyway. So a very short rave. Oh, that was that's great. Yeah, I mean, everybody. If you haven't seen that, you got to go. On. Yeah. I'm sure everybody's seen it. I mean, even on that article, there were 221 thousand shares or something on Facebook. Right, exactly. What a great promotion for the movie. Oh, so huge, just, just fantastic. You know, mine mine is really quick. It's a really uh, quick rave. And thanks to uh, Scott Monty uh, for passing this over. By the way, if you're not subscribed to Scott Monty's newsletter, he does a really good overview of smart guy. of the marketing really news of the week. So Scott's yeah. done some great stuff. Uh, former um, director of social media, global social media at Ford. And um, this this article is from Fast Company called The Secrets of Writing Smart Long-Form Articles That Go Absolutely Viral. And I love this because you know know that I love the whole idea around long-form articles. When everybody's talking about this short, snackable content, there's also this whole thing going on about long-form still being in vogue where we've seen the Huffington Post create some verticals that are only long form based and even BuzzFeed, whether we think it's everything short, BuzzFeed actually has some really well written long form stuff going on. And so the whole art, the article is worth reading, except for the fact that it's long. So you're going to have to take some time and read it. But there's a couple things I wanted to <laughs> pass on uh, to what it goes, what it goes through some of the things to do. The number one thing is if you want something to go viral, and I love this because I'm talking about this in Uh, You know, my book that I'm working on, Content Inc., is this whole idea of passion. And it says, if you're not excited about the topic, you probably shouldn't be writing content about it. I just thought that was interesting. That's the number one thing they talk about is passion in content. And so we talk about that. If you're looking for a content niche that you're not passionate about, it's really, really tough to create content that's going to be shared and go viral. So that's the one thing that I like. And the other one was... uh, you don't have to write 
like an expert so that the whole thing was going through a bunch of reviews of different kinds of articles and they said if you write like you're the all-knowing expert it's not as likely to get shared that if you just write like somebody who's in search for the truth and i just love that love whole that. idea that's isn't fantastic. that something oh it's wonderful that's i mean those that is a nugget if you can think about that where you're trying to position yourself as the leading expert. You don't have to sound like I know right. everything. All you have to do is be passionate about searching for the truth on a topic. Honestly, which I think that's – go ahead. That, I was going to say, honestly, that's when Carla and I, when we wrote the introduction to uh, experiences, not to pimp the book again, but, but, but when we wrote the introduction, what we said in the, in the very end was – what we what we're talking about here in the second half of the book is what we call a set of better practices, not best practices, because they're not best practices. We don't know yet. We're exploring, and we actually say this verbatim: we're exploring this as much as you are. And so, all we're hoping that people do in this book is come along on a journey with us. And that's that's always the tack I want to take: is that we none of us. I mean, this podcast and all the stuff we're we don't know what we're doing. We're feeling our way through this That's as right. best as anybody. Everybody just, just come along be, on the journey. We'll, exactly. we'll figure it out. We'll try to. We're figure just it a, out. we're a little more focused on it than typically our audience has time to be. And so you know, if we can sort of cut through a few of the underbrushes together, then then hopefully we can lead the way a bit. You know, it's interesting um, that you know the intelligent content, most recent intelligent content article that's been on. Uh, content marketing institute sites getting a lot of people commenting and nazar bina commented today with something that i thought was really interesting that's associated with this he said i think it's the responsibility of all marketers to also be futurists because we have to have that kind of outlook and have that testing and that just really kind of look at what is the truth and kind of search for the truth as we're all feeling it out and i think that's kind of where we're at Maybe that's, does your book talk about that? A little bit. <laughs> just a, just <laughs> little, a little bit. bit. All right. Do we have a This Old Marketing this we week? We do, actually. We have a really interesting one. It's going to be a short, but it's, 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 it's really interesting. So this goes back to 1957. Um, and the reason that this fascinated me so much is because, you know, coming from Hollywood, I've, I've had ringside seats as the record industry, the music industry. But really, let's focus in on one particular aspect, which would be the record industry, has just really, you know, I mean, I don't think anybody would disagree, fallen on hard times. Um, but, of course, we think of the record industry in the 1950s as being sort of – as part of its golden times, right? You know, this is Elvis and this is, um, you know, just just pre-Beatles and we're talking about, um, you know, Jerry Lee Lewis and everything coming out of Motown and, and it's just a, a really, really hot time for record companies. And the interesting thing is is that this article – and I don't know how we're actually going to link to this because it actually comes from a book um, – We'll and by the way, the hat picture. tip, we'll huge hat picture. tip to Buddy Scalera uh, for uh, for giving us this because this is just a, a wonderful, wonderful example. They talk about how the record industry and specifically RCA Victor um, basically put a partnership together with Kellogg, Procter & Gamble, and Heinz. So you talk about breakfast cereals and P&G and, of course, Heinz ketchup and basically put out records for free. And they would put out these records for free, really targeting at that time housewives who were making decisions about food products and breakfast cereals and the things that P&G make. And they would basically put out these 
uh, other samplers that basically were only 25 cents. So you either got free records or there were some that were 25 cents, which was way off the cost of a normal record. And basically, it was they let the uh, advertisers subsidize. This is like very early native advertising because they were ostensibly letting the brands subsidize the creation of the record, the distribution of the record, and of course the sales, and they would have logos and they would have, you know, sort of branding on this thing. But it was not dissimilar from what was going on in soap operas where you had these brands were subsidizing and in some cases creating and actually funding the creation of records at a much lower price point, sometimes 25 cents, sometimes free, and giving them out to people to enjoy and, and enjoy the music and all of that and sort of have a sort of always on in this point um, display for all of these consumers who were looking to actually enjoy music but then also looking to maybe buy things. And they talk about a few other things where uh, Goodyear actually started to do this, and they actually distributed three million copies of a Christmas song uh, record, and they did that for a dollar. Um, and they made that available in much the same way we talked about last week with the comic books um, through 60,000 dealers um, of their of, of Goodyear titles. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful example of using content being created by a media company and where brands, even you know, in 1957 – we're doing things like creating content that would be displayed by a media company and subsidized by the brand, and a great example of this whole marketing. And, and thanks, for Buddy, for sending that. But thanks for – I mean we get the good majority of our news content each week from our audience. I just can't thank them enough. It makes oh, our job fantastic. a lot easier just, as we travel, as we will do this week. And you're leaving – are you leaving at the same time I am on Thursday? When we, how's on, that working? I get there Saturday morning. I'm not sure what time you get same there. Probably Saturday. not on the uh, uh, same flight or anything. But um, yeah, we're yeah, close. Yeah, we uh, leave. We leave for Sydney. What time do you? What time do you get there? I get there get early there? in the most, like seven forty in the morning. So we probably land at the same time. We're probably we on probably the same plane, and we don't even know it. Although, I, are you on American? Are you what coming? You? What uh, I'm on? I'm on Qantas, leaving out of Los Angeles at like ten twenty p.m. Oh, I might be on that plane. We'll have to check. It's because oh, I'm, yeah, that could be. We could be. It's or we're we're awfully close to it. But then, just so everybody knows, you know, we've got Sydney and Singapore next week. But then after that, you and I are going to be at an intelligent content conference, and still plenty. We, I'm so excited. There's the number of people that are going to come uh, to that event. So we should see around 400 people at intelligent oh, content that's conference. Fantastic. Which is going to be fantastic. And there's still time to sign up. So if you're interested, yeah, I, I think there's somebody called Robert Rose that is going to be keynoting that event. Don't listen to that guy. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe it. But we've got some um, just an amazing lineup. I'm super excited about it. And then, uh, and then of course, we've got Executive Four. We have four. Do you believe this? We have four events back to back. In three to back weeks. To back. Yeah. yeah, four weeks. Who did this? Who's, uh, I don't know who, who that guy is. Who set this thing up? I don't know who the hell that guy is. <laughs> Anyways, if you could make one of them, that'd be great. Executive Forum. Uh, we still got a couple tickets available for that one. Uh, that's for any of you content marketing executives. If you'd like more information about that, just let us know. At uh, You have an email address for the show, right? You can send that to. Go ahead. Absolutely. Well, that is it for Joe Polizzi. This is Robert Rose. You know, tweet us up, won't you? Do keep sending those. We so do appreciate all that stuff. Um, or, as Joe just mentioned, email us. This old marketing at contentinstitute.com. We can take it there. We can take it through hashtag this old marketing on social media. And if you like this episode number 69, do consider subscribing, won't you? Subscribe to us because you're beautiful. 
on iTunes or Stitcher.com. All the links you heard about today will be in the show notes, which are available at Saturday at thisoldmarketing.com. And do tune in next week when we're going to hear Joe say, what was that again? Remember, folks, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing. is part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.